You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. I love it when you talk back to me. I love it. I know you're there. It's really bright up here, and sometimes you wonder if anyone's out there. So, <laughs> no, it's encouraging when you talk back. So, we're still in Nehemiah, and I thought that this would be the last time that we were in Nehemiah, but it's not. We're in uh, Nehemiah next week, I think, or the following week after that as well. But we've been talking about um, the arts, and the first week we talked about the art of compassion and courage and conviction. And then we talked about the commission, the commitment, and the conflict. And the last time that I spoke, we spoke on the art of connection, community, and the spirit of confusion. So we're going to talk again today, and today we're going to talk about commonality, correction, and change. Sounds fun, doesn't it? (laughs) Correction. Yay, my favorite. Um... But in Nehemiah, for those of you that haven't been with us on this journey through Nehemiah, um, I just encourage you, go um, find the podcast on our website at Hazard, or you can go on Facebook, you can find it. It's, I think we've been in it for three weeks, so you probably would want to go about four weeks back and, and watch them. I believe, I really believe that it's a word um, for our church right now, for the body of Christ. Um, that's important um, to where we're going, where God has us to go. Uh, But in Nehemiah, they're talking about rebuilding the walls. Their walls have been broken down. And uh, so they go to rebuild the walls. But where we're in today, Nehemiah 5, um, the last time we talked, we talked about the spirit of confusion and how confusion, as, as unity begins to happen, confusion begins. The spirit of confusion will try to come in, cause unsettledness, and cause confusion. We even see it in our world today. It's like you you're trying to stay on top of things and and there's confusion happening that's the enemy that's the enemy but today when we look we're going to look at something that began to happen within the walls as they were building it within the community so let's start in nehemiah 5 verse 1 it says about this time some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow jews they were saying we are such large families we need more food to survive others said we have mortgaged our fields vineyards and homes to get food during the famine and others said we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes we belong to the same family as those who are wealthy and our children are just like theirs yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live We have already sold some of our daughters and we are helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. Now Nehemiah says, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials and I told them you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. They were silent, got nothing, they've been caught. So basically what's happening in this text is obviously like we read that there's, there's 
wealthy people, people that are doing great, there are really no issues. And then there is the poor people that are like having to sell everything. They're not doing okay. And, and they're, they're basically come to the end of themselves and they're like, listen, Nehemiah, we need help. We, we, can't even go, we can't even go any farther than this. They've got enemies outside the wall, uh, so they can't go there. But from the inside, from the very core of who they are, they're being extorted by their own people, being charged interest by their own people. And Nehemiah, he, it says, we just read, it says he's angry. Why is he angry? Because they were all working towards a common goal. They were all in this together, right? They, we, we're here, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You're doing this part of the wall, I'm doing this part of the wall. We're all moving forward together. But now suddenly they've got some that are doing well and others that are, aren't doing well. And the ones that are doing well are, are holding it against the ones that aren't, the poor. They're, they're, they're using it against them. And, and Nehemiah's like, what is actually happening? Who does that? Who does that? We're all supposed to be working towards a common goal. You're supposed to be taking care of those who are in need. And so I'm gonna hit some buttons today, but I think that, that speaking in the body of Christ, especially in North America, that, that we've done this. that there are poor among us, those that are in need. I'm not even talking about poor um, financially, although there are, that poor in spirit. And, and, and we've come to this mindset of it's to each their own. But really, what the heck? <laughs> like Nehemiah, we're all working towards a common goal. We're moving to, well, I'm supposed to be taking care of you. You're supposed to be taking care of me. Let's look in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. It says, therefore, encourage and comfort one another and build up one another just as you were doing. That this is about one another, not just me. Commonality is the sharing of features, attributes, goals, characteristics. It's having things in common. In 1 Peter 3.8, it says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, united in spirit, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, courteous, and compassionate toward each other as members of one household and humble in spirit. That's a lot of things. Be compassionate, be like-minded, be sympathetic to one another, watching out for one another, taking care of one another. Why? Like you're members of one household. Why? Because you are. You're part of the kingdom of God. We have one Father. You are my brother, you are my sister. That's, that's how this is. And so why, why would you go without? And I leave you like that and not help you. That's not the kingdom. That's a, that's a mindset. That's a North American mindset.
in 1 Corinthians, in Galatians 6, 2, it says, carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the requirement of the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens. Do, do you know the burdens of the people that you sit next to? Are you carrying? Are you carrying someone else's burdens? That's kingdom. Carrying one another. Not just concerned about myself, but carrying. 1 Corinthians 12, 20 says, But now, as things really are, there are many parts, different limbs and organs, but a single body. But a single body. It would be crazy if an unhealthy body, a sick body, is, is one that just alienates itself and fights for its own. When there's sick in the body, that it leaves it to its own. That's a sick body. Amen? That we're to carry one another. We're to watch out for one another. We're to be sympathetic to one another. This kingdom. In Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit shows up, it says they had all things in common. Let's look. Acts 2, verse 43. A sense of awe was felt by everyone, and many wonders and signs attesting miracles were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed in Jesus as Savior were together and had all things in common, considering their possessions to belong to the group as a whole. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing the proceeds with all the other believers as anyone had need. They were watching out for one another. Who, who has need? Day after day, they met in the temple area, continuing with one mind and breaking bread in various private homes. They were eating their meals together with joy and generous hearts, praising God continually and having favor with all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved. They were watching each other. They were the family. We're one body. I wouldn't leave you to your own. We're one body. We're all in this together. We have something in common. We're part of the kingdom. We're, we're part of the family of God. Everything I have comes from Him. So, In the Passion Translation, it says, like, it says it like this, a deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers were in fellowship as one body. And they shared with one another whatever they had out of generosity. They even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. In other words, they were watching out for who's in need. That that's part of the, the mandate of the kingdom. It's The kingdom is different. Who's in need? It, it takes a, a mindset shift that it's not just about me and building what I need to build to get to where I need to get. When you come into the kingdom, it's I'm part of the body. Who's in need? And let me just say this, this that, that, I, that in Acts 2, it's talking financially, they gave. 
but it goes beyond financial financially it, it goes into emotional needs support who needs me to be there how can I encourage how can I love that that we would have a shift in our thinking to look around and recognize that I've been placed in the body of Christ for a reason Did, Did you know that even wealthy people have needs? I know that we could we can look at poor, the poor and say, yeah, they, they have needs, but there's poor in spirit. And a lot of times what happens with even wealthy people is people alienate from them because they think that they have everything that they need. They have it made. And they end up being very alone. room for classism in the body of Christ. That I am here, that I show up here to meet someone else's need in whatever capacity that looks like. Out of a spirit of generosity. But I only move ahead if that means that the body of Christ is moving with me. Together, together. Back to Nehemiah verse 6. It says, when I heard their complaints, Nehemiah saying this, when I heard their complaints, when he was saying that they're like, we've got nothing, Nehemiah, we're done for. I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against the nobles and officials and I told them, you are hurting your own. I think we need to recognize this, that if, that if, I, that if, I'm, not keeping, um, if I'm not keeping you guys in mind and, and you're not keeping me in mind and we're not fighting for each other, that we hurt our own. you're hurting your own relatives by charging them interest when they borrow money then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem at the meeting I said to them we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners but you are selling them back into slavery again how often must we redeem them and they had nothing to say in their defense it's like you're not watching out for one another but I thought about this part where he says that we've done everything that we can to get them out of slavery. But now you're, you're, you're selling them back into it. You're putting them back into bondage. And I thought about that verse. And I think it's in Matthew. I could be wrong. It might be Luke. It might be both. I don't know. But where, where the, the guy owes a ton of debt. And the king sets him free, right? And then he goes finds the guy who owes him money once he gets out of jail and it's way less than what he'd owed the king and he holds him in contempt for it and I thought about this even even in the body and I know that we've talked about this lots but how many of us hold people in contempt in unforgiveness not issuing forgiveness when we're supposed to, to the body of Christ we've been placed into. 
In Ephesians 4.32, it says, be kind and helpful to one another. I mean, the body talks about, or the Bible talks about unity all the way through, all the way through it. Unity is so important. He says, be kind and helpful to one another, tenderhearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another readily and freely, just as God in Christ has forgave you. Colossians 3.13 says, tolerate the weakness of those in the family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way you have graciously been forgiven by Jesus. If you find fault with someone, release the same gift of forgiveness to them. You have no right to hold unforgiveness. You've been forgiven. You, we have to begin to release forgiveness. Remember, we, we talked about this, that the enemy does not like unity. Powerful things can be done in unity. So he'll cause classism to come in. He'll, he'll, he'll cause us to, to fight for our own and forget about the rest. Or unforgiveness will come in and, and we'll harbor that unforgiveness thinking that we have a right to it and we don't. Refusing to forgive. In Matthew 5.21 it says, you are familiar with the commandment taught to those of old, do not murder or you will be judged. But I'm telling you, if you hold anger in your heart toward a fellow believer, you are subject to judgment. And whoever demeans and insults a fellow believer is answerable to the congregation. Come on, just even think about that. Am I privately? doing it? Insulting fellow believers? Demeaning them? Am I holding anger in my heart towards them? And whoever calls down curses upon a fellow believer is in danger of being sent to fiery hell. So then, if you are presenting a gift before the altar and suddenly remember a quarrel you have with a fellow believer, leave your gift in the front of the altar and go at once to apologize to the one who is offended. Then after you have reconciled, come to the altar and present your gift. It's like, don't leave it. Unity, forgiveness is so important to God. It's so important to God. He says, I love that you bring a gift, but hey, if there's something in your heart, stop what you're doing. Go at once. Most important thing, you gotta go. Go to them. Go issue forgiveness. Go make wrongs right. This is important. And this is important to the body of Christ. This is important to where we're going. We want to fight a whole lot of things, but we don't want to deal with the unforgiveness in our heart. Matthew 18 verse 15 says, if your fellow believer sins against you, so one's talking about if, if, if you've offended somebody else, go make it right. This one's, if someone's, if someone's sinned against you, you must go to them privately and attempt to resolve the matter. If he responds, your relationship is restored. 
But if his heart is close to you, then go to him again, taking one or two others with you. You'll be fulfilling what the scripture teaches when it says, every word may be verified by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen, then share the issue with the congregation in hopes of restoration. I like how it points it out. In hopes of restoration, not because you've got offended yourself. If he still refuses to respond, even to the church, then you must disregard him as though he were an outsider on the same level as an unrepentant sinner. So he's saying, the first thing you do, if someone is, if someone is hurt you, you go to them. But recognize that you're going to them because you want restoration. The second thing you do, if it doesn't work, you bring a confidant. It's like, hey, we, we got it. We got to try it. The next one, you go to leadership. But either way, the point is restoration. And I wonder, do we do that? Or do we just shut the person down? They've hurt me. It's over. I don't. I, I'm, I'm not going to go there with them anymore. They can't be trusted. That's not the kingdom. It's not the kingdom. Releasing forgiveness, making it important. It's protecting unity. absolutely no sense in the body of Christ to fight against you to hold you down underneath me or to not release forgiveness to you we're all in this together back to Nehemiah verse 9 Nehemiah says, then I pressed further. What are you, what you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? This got me. This verse got me. Should you not walk in the fear of God? And this is what got me. Is, is many of us believers who've been believers, we know this stuff. You know that you need to release forgiveness. You know that. You know what bitterness does. You know that you're supposed to help one another. You, you know, we know these things, yet we make choices in our heart that I don't want to do it. And this verse says, should you not walk in the fear of God in order to be avoided, in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? Where's our fear and our reverence of God, of his word? When he says, if you don't forgive, I can't forgive you. You must forgive. When he says, unity is important. When he says, bear one another's burdens, watch out for one another, love one another. And we decide, I don't want to, I don't feel like it. They hurt me. I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to harden my heart. Where is the fear of God and the reverence for his word? And then it says, 
you'll be mocked by the enemy. Yeah, you will, because it's exactly where he wants you. It's exactly what he wants. Yes, they're making choices to divide. I can get in now. Yes, they're making choices to open the door to me because they're choosing unforgiveness, backbiting, talking about each other. There's a verse in, I think it's in James, I could be wrong, where it talks about them, they're so vicious with one another that they're eating one another. It's like cannibalism. And the enemy laughs. Oh, that we could see it for the bigger picture that it is. It's not just a choice that you're making to walk this way. The lack of the fear and the reverence. Come on, I'm talking to myself too. So verse 10, this is where correction begins to take place. Nehemiah says, I myself as as well as my brothers and my workers have been lending the people money and grain, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day and repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, olive oil. You must, you, you must restore We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You you must restore them. Those of you that are, you're holding people, you're holding people in contempt. You must, you must, you must, you must restore them. You must let it go. You must restore them. I feel the Holy Spirit so strong on this. I feel like he's pleading. You must restore them, church. You must. So they reply back in verse 12, they replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. Some some of us in unforgiveness have been holding them and demanding that they perform, that they do better, that they, I I won't forgive until I see this. No more, restore, restoration. We will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. This is how you respond to correction. In Proverbs 12, verse 1, it says, To learn the truth, you must long to be teachable. Or... You can despise correction and remain ignorant. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it says, God has transmitted his very substance into every scripture, for it is God-breathed. It will empower you by its instruction and its correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness Then you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you. 
It empowers you to become mature and prepared to fulfill the assignment that he has called you. When he comes in and he speaks to you through his word, it says it is God breathed, which means it is the Holy Spirit that comes in and moves in and empowers you to fulfill the things that God has asked you to do. So whatever in this moment that God is speaking to you and talking to you about, it is God breathed. He's breathing to you right now, saying I am empowering you to be able to walk this out. Whatever it is, I'll strengthen you. And it's for your maturity so that you will fulfill the purpose that I have for you. No one should ever be above accountability or correction. Not any of us. You will never reach a place where you will be above correction or accountability. It's a dangerous place when you get to a place where you believe you do not need correction or you don't need to be accountable to anybody. It's not the way of the kingdom. So verse 13, Nehemiah says, I shook out the folds of my robe and I said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. Nehemiah is saying this is a very serious thing. Then the whole assembly responded, Amen, <laughs> and praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. And the people did as they promised. They were being corrected. But then from that correction, they changed. It's one thing to be corrected. There's another thing to receive it and change Repentance means to go a different way. A lot of times we think repentance means saying, I'm sorry, which it does. But it actually means that you change the way that you go. It's a changing of the way you think. It's a changing of direction. So God shows up and says, all right, church, this is, this is, this is where it needs to go. And, and, and you just don't just say yes. You say yes, and like them, they did it. They changed. They repented. They changed their direction. Repentance should always follow correction. Matthew 3.8 says, You must prove your repentance by a changed life. It goes on to say in verse 9, And don't presume you can get away with merely saying to yourself, But we're Abraham's descendants, for I tell you, God can awaken the stones to become sons of Abraham. The axe is now ready to cut down the trees at their very roots. Every fruitless, rotten tree will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Those who repent, I baptize with water, but there is coming a man after me who is more powerful than I. In fact, I'm not even worthy enough to pick up his sandals. He will submerge you into union with the spirit of holiness and with a raging fire. He comes with a winnowing fork in his hands and comes to his threshing floor to sift what is worthless from what is pure. And he is ready to sweep out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his granary. But the straw he will burn up with fire that can't be extinguished. I really believe that this is a time where God, I've said before, is 
taking out what, what wasn't of him, what's, what's not the foundation that he wanted his church to be on, that there's a shaking that's taking place. I believe that there is a shaking even greater that's coming. And that he is endeavoring to tell the body of Christ to get ready. But to get ready means that you must not be divided. You can't be divided. You, you got to be watching out for one another. You got to be encouraging, building up, carrying burdens, loving one another, doing whatever you can. You cannot be divided, not in your heart, not in the things that you say, and not in the things that you do. There is a greater shaking coming. And good will come of it. Good will come of it, but there is a greater shaking coming. So back to Nehemiah verse 14. We're almost finished. He says, For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, for the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Xerxes, neither I nor my officials drew out, drew on our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine, besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistance took advantage of the people, but because I feared God, I did not act that way. He says, I could have. Like, I could have done it. I, 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 I could have done those things, but I feared God. So I didn't act that way. I think of Paul when he says, when he says in the Bible there, um, all things are lawful, but are, but not all of them are profitable. I, I live in freedom, but I choose the fear of God. I can do those things. There, there are things that I can do, but what is the Spirit of God saying to me individually? That I live in the fear of God. When I say fear, I say I live as in though I'm listening to His voice and I am responding when He speaks. I am obeying when He speaks. And, and there are many, many of us, all of us, maybe if we just stop for a moment and recognize that there has been a lack of reverence for the Word of God, lack of reverence for the, for the things that God has spoken to us. I think we could all be honest because every time He speaks, did I obey? Or did I choose my own way? I can do these things. There's others that are doing these things, but me individually, God's saying, not for you, not for the places you're supposed to go, not for the things that I've got for you to do. Don't do those things. I can do those things, but God is telling me not. I must obey. I must obey. Church, what is God saying to you? You must obey. These are not the days. They aren't the days. And understand that when God speaks to you, it is always for your good. Always. Because he sees the bigger picture. He sees what's coming up ahead. He, he, he knows where you've got to go and where you've got to be. We must live in this place of the fear of God. Is When he speaks, I obey. I will always obey.
even the little things. In fact, most often it's the little things that we think that we think doesn't matter. There's others doing it. Nehemiah says, I could have done it. Others were doing it. I, it's, it's even what it, others were doing. He says, but I feared God. So I didn't act that way. Mm, there, was a, there was something in my heart. There was a nudging in my life. As I could feel the Holy Spirit saying, mm -hmm. okay, Holy Spirit, I won't act that way. That there is a, that, that, that he is calling us to task, calling us to accountability. Accountability in our own life of the hearing of the Holy Spirit when he speaks. Sometimes the greatest test of maturity is freedom. I think that we need to repent for not walking in the place of reverence of God. Father, we repent. We repent for not listening to your voice as the only voice, as the only guide as the only thing that matters. For not holding your word in the highest regard. For analyzing the things that you've said and thinking maybe they're not that important, even when it was little things that you asked us to move. Father, forgive us. Place upon our hearts a seriousness, a reverence for the things that you speak for your word. Let us be people who walk in the fear and the reverence and the awe of you. Verse 16 says, I also devoted myself to working on the wall and I refused to acquire any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. He's like, guys, I was working. I was serving. Leaders, which were all called to be leaders, serve. Leaders serve. That's, that's the way it's done in the kingdom. The way the world says that you become a leader, you, you climb the, the, 
the pole that you get higher and higher and then you get to tell people what it is to do as a leader you make you may make decisions but your highest calling is to serve leaders serve if you are too good to serve you are too good to, you are not good enough to lead leadership is not a title it's a position of influence that leads by example and servanthood I'll say it again leadership is not a title it's a position of influence that leads by example and servanthood I wonder if there's an example of that in the bible Jesus <laughs> Jesus all the influence but he led by example his life was example his life was servanthood that's what we're called to do we're kings and priests that's what he called us your kings and your priests so serve that's your life serve that's the kingdom we don't adopt the ways of the world we're not of the world we may be in the world but our ways are different because we follow kingdom we serve and serving will cost you Verse 17 he says I asked for nothing even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table besides all the visitors from our land the provisions I paid for each day included one ox six choice sheep or goats and a large number of poultry and every 10 days we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden it was costing him everything it costs in 2 Corinthians 12:15 it says and i will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls i will i will gladly spend and be spent costs And I tell you that so that you're not surprised <laughs> But it's your calling It's your calling and there's grace for it I can only I I can only think that Nehemiah saying like It cost me something but I can't help but think that I know God provided for him because where else was it coming from I had to I had to do these things I I could have gone outside but I didn't because I was concerned about the people It cost me I would gladly spend and be spent for your souls 
God's kingdom. You even see what it costs him at the very last verse. He says, remember, oh my God, all that I have done for the people and bless me for it. There's still blessing. There's still blessing for living the life in the kingdom. But servanthood costs. But you're called to it. We're called to it. We're called to spend and be spent for one another. There's so much grace on that. There's so much blessing on that. There's so much strength. I am better because of you. We weren't meant, uh, I can't think of it right now, but there is a, there's a, not a proverb, but a saying that I can't even, I'm trying to think of how it's said correctly, but basically humans weren't meant to do life alone. We were meant to do life together be better for it. So I encourage you today that you hear the Spirit of God call us to this place of not, of not living my Christianity, my walk with God, just me and God, but with the body that He's placed me to release forgiveness or release whatever I have, whatever, however I'm holding somebody in contempt, release that. And to recognize that there is a high calling on your life to carry one another's burdens. Who's in need among you? Who's close to you that you know is in need? Don't just say that's their problem our problem and just as beautiful as the Holy Spirit would today even recognizing at the beginning when we started having people hold up their hands and say I'm facing a battle that we would turn and pray over them the victory the victory the victory the victory this Holy Spirit led these group who's hurting among you who's sick among you who's in need among you I've been called. I've been placed. There's nobody beneath me. I, we had um, James Clausen come and, and speak to the leaders about um, counseling and stuff like that. And, and he said two amazing things that just got me. And, and again, I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember exactly how he said it. But the moment that I sit down with somebody and I think I have something to offer them. Instead of a place of humility that says, how can I serve you? How can I help you work through this? And the other thing was, there's nobody that I am better in, better than, got it together more than. It's a, it's a way of thinking. I'm not on a different level than anybody else.
I'll serve. And I'll gladly spend and be spent. For your souls. For their souls. I'll I gladly. But there's something more beyond just this life that I see there's more. called into the kingdom for this time for this time for this crazy crazy time I've been called into the kingdom to serve to love to help to encourage to build up because I've got stuff in common for more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.